Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast uh, featuring Dr. Brandon Cruz and Dr. Jeremy Boyd. Uh, today we're going to be talking about regional interdependence, which is something that isn't so commonly known or done in physical therapy. is a type of uh, intervention to kind of look outside the the target area or the problem area to uh, actually get your patients better uh, faster. So uh, before we start, I start rambling on more about it. Let me pass it off to my partner in crime here, uh, Brandon. Hey, Jared, thanks for uh, the introduction and, and the introduction to this podcast. So this is one I, I really like personally. I mean, we've been talking about kind of doing this topic for uh, a bit now as uh, it's just it's important. You know, we're going to go over the I guess what the definition really is and, and really how to extrapolate it. I know in school they always tell us to, I guess, uh, above the uh, examine the joint above and below. And we do it just because we're told, but it doesn't really consciously hit us. And, and how can we really expedite that process for you guys? But, uh, you know, before we go uh, in any more on that, let's uh, do our drink introduction, our typical drink introduction. I have uh, Basil Hayden today. Ooh, it's good. a uh, Kentucky bourbon. Um, it was made in the late 1700s or started being made. It has a, a bit of a spicy or a hint of a spicy taste. It's pretty dry, uh, light body overall, but it's good on the rocks. That's how I, I typically drink this one. So uh, that's what I'm working with today. What do you have over there? I'm doing a little bit of a remix to the good old college days here. I'm drinking a, a natter day um, for all you natural light fans out there. This is a interesting concoction um, of strawberry lemonade and light beer. So uh I was in Austin a couple weeks ago with some uh, friends of mine from college, and the, this was the upgrade to things. And it's actually surprisingly refreshing. But uh, I don't know if anybody, uh, for those Natty Light fans out there, they, the Natapult, which is someone throws you uh, uh, a beer and you're supposed to crack it and drink it. Uh, I did recently take a Natter Day to the uh, head. Uh, so just. Uh, <laughs> Still, still shaking off the concussion by uh, drinking a couple more of these. So I figured it'd be a uh, be fitting for this uh, podcast today. But um, yeah. how'd you feel after that, Jer? Uh, uh, ice. I mean, those those next days were usually pretty brutal in college. So when you, we use them primarily for beer pong or flip cup. But yeah, I mean, this one the, the, lately since Austin, it's been like the the, the drinking beer. Uh, yeah, they they put a. I couldn't tell what was my hangover from or my headache was from was either drinking them or uh, taking one to the head. So uh, they do some damage. Uh, but uh, again, the nostalgic feel, you, you can't beat that sometimes. So, But uh, going back, let's talk about some nostalgia and maybe um, kind of kicking off the regional interdependence and everything like that. And maybe kind of starting off in the beginning of our journeys. Or let's first talk about what regional interdependence is, and then we can talk about how we first applied it or what we thought it was coming out of school or in school and take it from there. Um, re- I'll, I'll pass it off to you, Brandon. Yeah, so I'd say my first, uh, I guess, real true understanding of it, and it was definitely more on the movement pattern, Therax, neuro reed side of things, was definitely Gray Cook and his book, Movement, uh, along with the SMA, FMS and SFMA, I, uh, I embarked on that 
journey. Uh, I was, I guess, either late first year PT student or early second year PT student when I really dove in. Uh, I was actually late, late first year because I remember going to the CSM and buying Perform Better was there. And I remember buying that book along with Stuart McGill's book and Anatomy Train. So that, that was definitely first year of uh, PT school. And, you know, Greg Cook definitely was, uh, I guess, one of the, the beginnings for, for me in developing that. But I've since evolved from that, I guess, more, you know, on the manual therapy side as well. And we'll dive into the research on that. And uh, after you talk, I want to go into a couple definitions that are here or quotes from a few articles in the literature to really solidify what regional interdependence is and what it uh, or guess what it was and what it currently is as that definition has evolved over the past 10 to 15 years. What about you, Jerry? Uh, so, yeah, mine was a little bit more, I guess, a little bit more simplistic. Um, I really didn't get too exposed to it till we started hitting residency or started looking more into research afterwards. So I'm going to be honest, it was residency that kind of really opened it up to me. But it was more, you know, explaining to us, hey, um, if you're if you have someone, you know, as a knee, look above and below the joint, you know, all right, we have a patellofemoral pain syndrome patient. Yeah, look at the hips and the ankle. Okay. You know, do a quick run through. Okay, yeah, they have full range of motion, and my my muscle strength testing or my understanding of movement patterns wasn't very strong. I'm like, okay, good enough. All right, let me look at this knee. Let me do patella mobs ten sessions out and keep strengthening the leg and just hope for results. Um, so that was kind of uh, you know it was very simplistic until we got into more residency. They explained it a little bit more, and then it evolved from there. But but that's great, Jerry, because I, I think that's probably a majority, especially of the young clinicians, and you know probably even some clinicians that have been out there. They'll do one thing, like you said, mobilize the patella, or just treat the patella and do some leg exercises, and maybe you're incorporating some treatment at the hips with bridges and clamshells and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it goes beyond that, and. Oh, I just totally, totally spaced out what I was going to say with that. It's all that whiskey, damn it. We should probably yeah. tell our viewers what, like, what, what we're doing right now, what day it is, what time it is. We're, what, this is a, a couple episodes deep in a, it's about six. Yeah, so, so we're, we're, at, we're at a Saturday right now trying to, trying to bang out a couple episodes right here. So we're definitely a couple, couple drinks in. Um, I haven't but, had breakfast yet. But yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and we're drinking in the morning. But yeah, and you're drinking whiskey, show. so the, good. The, yeah. the only purpose of keeping the manips and sips, we had we had to go strong. So you have to, you have to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'm sure I'll remember what I was going to say at some point, and I'll, I'll come back. But I think that's uh, what most clinicians do. I remember what I was going to say most clinicians like that, and yeah, you may get patients better by doing that. But is it basic? Is it because of what you were doing, or what other factors are in there about? You know, especially Patel for more pain syndrome, they're usually the the younger crowd, you know, in the teens. Mm-hmm. You know, was it just the course of time that got them better? Was it that they got a little older and, you know, their motor control got better and that's what got them better? Like versus ver- what true regional interdependence treatment 
and, and treating the body or the, the injury as a whole uh, is meant to do. So hopefully this sheds a little bit more light and expedites some people's thought process and, and the way they, they reflect and think about this topic. Yeah. Did you want to go into the, um, I know you mentioned like going to some updated um, definitions of it uh, for our viewers there, Brent. Yeah. So before, you know, I talk about now, let's talk about some of the, you know, where we were to, to understand where we've been. And in 2007, Rob Weiner, uh, to quote this in his article, relationships, regional interdependence is relationship between seemingly unrelated impairments in remote anatomical regions may contribute to the patient's primary symptom. All right. So that was in 2007. 2008, Belosky had a rebuttal uh, and wrote a letter to the editor as he did not really agree with this, uh, at least fully anyway. And it says, we suggest that regional interdependence may result from neurophysiological effects and or nonspecific mechanisms. So if you read some of Belosky's work, he's very big on trying to understand uh, the neurophysiological effects and even nonspecific effects of manual therapy. So he has some really good articles there, just, just digressing. And now the most updated version is in 2013 by uh, Suki, Cleland, and Weiner. And it says the biomedical model so of regional interdependence should include musculoskeletal, neurophysiological, somatovisceral, and biopsychosocial responses to your treatment. So really encompassing a lot more and, you know, going into some of that psychosocial stuff, that pain science quote-unquote stuff, even taking an effect that somatovisceral and maybe some of those the referred pains that we should uh, be considering and how they, you know, one hand kind of feeds the other there. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that definition and especially the people who are lost in that only biopsychosocial aspect. Well, let's not forget about some of the other aspects that are at play as well. Yeah. Cause um, we've been talking about it um, in frequent episodes of like, Test, retest, getting that buy-in with clients, making sure they stay around for their plan of care. One for a clinician for learning growth and getting the client better, but also for business and keeping your clients there, finishing things off. But you know, especially the absorption of you know, you know, the biopsychosocial and you know, having just discussions with people. You're never gonna get as much as I love that, and you know, I have the posters and everything like that. I've taken tons of courses in uh, pain science and stuff, you're never going to have, all right, let me have a discussion with the client. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, you know, it does feel better to lift up my arm right there. And then, you know, it, you know, it went from an eight out of 10, you talked to me, it's now four out of 10. It's got to be all encompassing. It's got to incorporate, you know, targeting the, the appropriate muscles that are, you know, deficient compared to the other side. It's got to include some manual therapy for that neurophysiological effect. And then on top of that, you know, explaining that they're not going to damage themselves. It's got to be all encompassing. And that's what I believe is regional interdependence and, you know, hitting all the marks there. Yeah. It, it may sound like we're, we're bashing pain science or, you know, some of the other realms or, that people consider physical therapy. And it's not that. Uh, it's more we've either A, been down that, those roads and come back out and, and be just kind of been in the game 
long enough and had some really good mentorship and, and programs that we've been involved with where we've been able to see the forest through the trees and not get sucked into to just one paradigm. And mm-hmm. I want to highlight something you talked about last, uh, our last podcast, which, um, what was it? The, uh, neurodynamic one where you talked about your one case where you pretty much treated or did seven, eight different things where you were treating the C-spine, treating the T-spine, treating the shoulder girdle, doing some nerve glides, treating the shoulder itself, um, doing some exercises all while you're educating the patient and you're having the patient active in that process. I mean, that is pain science. Mm -hmm. That is the paradigm of pain science of, you know, making that patient or helping that patient become aware. I don't want to say making because it's more of an active process and, you know, treating multiple things that contribute to the person's pain. Uh, mm-hmm. and some of that, it goes beyond the clinic as well. You know, their daily life, their stressors, sleep, nutrition, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's only so many points that we can touch ourselves. So I, I just wanted to highlight that because, uh, reflecting on what you said, uh, that's definitely, I think a, a definition of not only pain science, but regional interdependence. Yeah. And for our viewers out there, I'll go into like a little quick recap of that client. If you, if you're picking up on our on our podcast on this episode and didn't listen to the last one. I was a patient three years of, uh, of shoulder pain and numbness into his uh, right hand predominantly. Um, anytime he got in essentially, especially when we tested it into the, uh, the towards the terminal uh, median nerve position for upper limb tension test. I had, I had my resident looked at him, evaluate him. We definitely found those tension it's doing some techniques at the area of his right arm. Uh, it was getting better, but it wasn't enough for both the client and then me as a clinician. Uh, Start looking elsewhere onto his other side, his legs and everything like that. Found this tension elsewhere. Started doing techniques through a cervical thoracic and lumbar spine. And then for someone who had it for three years, within two weeks, he's been symptom free. Uh, but during that time and those sort of things, little things like he always chronically always rubbed his, his like right around his bicipital groove. That was his thing. And little things like that, you can see that, you know, he has perceptions about his shoulder and he's constantly needing to rub it and those sort of things. And little education, oh, why, why are you doing that? Does that really help um, trying to get him away from essentially not coddling it, but constantly having to give interventions towards that sort of thing so during that time frame we're implementing all these sort of things but this was a case where we went from going purely at the problem site and then we expanded elsewhere and we took a client that had pain for or issues for two three years to now not having any symptoms and now is discharged so that, that was kind of the case with that um all kind of go off into a different subject. I don't want to bring up the old one stuff, but Brandon, how do you, I guess, look at someone and say, this is someone who, you know, based off of what I'm finding is a, someone would benefit from regional interdependence in the, in the treatment techniques that, you know, encompasses all that. Oh, that's, that's uh, the that infamous, question. it depends answer that we always have <laughs> in PT school. But I will try and elaborate on it. I'm going to go to the shoulder first, just because I think that's probably the most common area. 
and probably the easiest one to uh, to relate the most regional interdependent things. So let's take somebody with shoulder impingement. Uh, we'll, we'll quote unquote say shoulder impingement. What what is going on there? Let let's instead of just diving into all right, this patient has uh, shoulder impingement, and everyone has probably their own paradigm. Uh, a lot of times, those patients with shoulder impingement tend to have some trigger points on that rhomboid mid trap area. So you mm-hmm. have some PTs that will you know do some soft tissue work to that region and then do some exercises. There are some people that are just going to treat the shoulder. Uh, some people just do exercise alone and do their scaption and their T's and Y's and um, will begin to load that patient in various forms. So let, let's just dive into all the things that can be can be causing some type of shoulder pain or, or shoulder impingement. So we have the mechanics of the shoulder itself. Why is there an impingement? Let's ask that question. So mm-hmm. is there some type of arthrokinematic thing where that joint quote unquote, is like not moving as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there some weakness or motor control issue at that scapulothoracic joint? Is there hypermobility or increased kyphosis or some type of limitation at the T-spine? We can go up to the cervical spine and having some type of either hypermobility at the cervical spine or maybe even some type of referred pain into the top of the shoulder as the somatic referral patterns from the cervical joints can lead to, I believe it's uh, like C4, C5, uh, maybe even to C5 into C6 lead to that top of that shoulder chromium area. Mm-hmm. Do we have the AC joint that could be limited in, uh, in mo- movement causing, uh, causing that SC joint as well? And then we have some neurodynamics and, and that's just off the top right there. I'm sure we could dive in depending on uh, some other cases but what's that what was that like seven seven at least at least that we uh, just listed there so you know what can we do to to treat and i think what's grossly out there especially for those uh anti-manual therapy people and those uh people that just like to squat everybody uh, Mm -hmm. that seems to be the the big thing at least on social media you know squatting and and doing snatches and cleans but What cures everything, Brandon. Yeah, Come on now. It, it does. <laughs> we should just been um, strength coaches. So, and I, I said this in one of our other podcasts, like we need you to stop. And this is just a pet peeve of mine. I, it's growing literally daily of this uh, move to just man, um, move to just loading and exercises and, and squatting and weight, uh, Olympic weightlifting. Like that's like a very small percentage of, of what physical therapy is. Um, but go, going back to it, there go are a ton of research. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted right now because I'm on my computer. I'm looking for this one article. It's, it's by Paul Minkin, but I can't exactly find the exact article right now. I'll, I'll look for it as we go along. We'll but post it. They did, a, they did a study where they, they a quote unquote, it was called aggressive manipulation, where they manipulated the CT junction. I'm sorry, they, they, well, they did do that. They did an upslope to the left and right cervical spine. They did a CT junction manip, and then they did the T-spine like two or three times, like down, you know, upper T-spine, mid-T-spine, lower T-spine. And then they did their their interventions as well. Like, include – you just clear it up so much, th- you know, so much stuff right there with just manipulations or mobilizations to the, the cervical spine and T-spine. 
and then you retest it right there. And that doesn't take that long. And that can also be an intervention as well, or uh, an examination. Somebody's complaining of X, Y, Z. Oh, well, uh, let me just assess this joint right here. Uh, it seems a little stiff. Manipulate it. How, now, how does it feel? That, that, is, that is how you efficiently go through uh, your assessment or your evaluation and assessing, and you make it a treatment right within your, um, your, I guess, your process there, or your flow, and it becomes seamless. And now you're getting in that buy-in right away because they're probably going to have some type of relief right there. Um, oh, and I forgot one other thing, sicker rib syndrome. That's, that's a thing that refers to that lateral sh- shoulder pain and uh, mimics impingement type. So you can add that to the list as well. So those are some of the things I, I'm, I'm looking at just on that part. I'm going to go into some muscle things and now exercise things, but I want to hand it off to you and get your point of view before I continue to blab away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you um, that, you know, that, you know, you can perform these quick techniques. I'm a huge fan and I, the students must hate me is like, they want to do their evaluation and be out and, I have like what I call like a luxury clinic. I'm like, you guys can evaluate the person for an hour and a half. I don't care. I'll pick up the next client, figure out things, you know, do things, make the patient feel better and, you know, have hope and faith by the time they leave here, you know, obviously you want to tighten that down, but right there and then you find something, try and make an impact right there. Okay. I feel like this is definitely a cause of things. Let me try some things or, I don't care if it's an exercise or a manual therapy technique or something, um, but do something where it's like that. Uh, it was a joke, um, I don't know, like a week ago. I made a bet that we can manipulate from the foot all the way down up to the – all the way through the neck in under one minute, and we did it. Uh, so that I, I obviously don't encourage that. That was just, just for fun there. But if you can do something – you know, in a other, like in just focusing on one area or a couple areas, let's say the cervical and thoracic spine. Okay. You know, even if you take your time, it takes like two, three minutes and then you're making an impact right there. And then 30 minutes in, um, you know, I can make, I can, for those people that have kind of almost lost faith, you know, that's, that's amazing that you can do that. It's like, okay, yeah, I understand that it hurts to lift up your arm. All right, let me try this you know, cervical thoracic technique or something of that nature, or let me just try and modulate and engage your scapular muscles and it gets better. It's, it's huge. Uh, you know, it gets in that buy-in real quick and people or viewers or listeners are probably tired of me hearing it, but I think it's one of the most important things out there. But, uh, yeah. Um, I guess you were going to talk about some other things there, Brandon. I know you didn't want to ramble on, and then I was about to ramble on. So um, yeah, you, know. you you actually made a perfect segue. You'll you'll do a manipulation or a manual technique which modulates or gets those muscles firing. So I have an article here. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Josh Cleland. Uh, what year is it? Uh, Two thousand four. The scapular one where. Yep. yep. Uh, I think it's two thousand four. Let me double check because it has like the download date and everything. All right. Yeah, two thousand four. Uh, this is in the uh, Journal of Manual Manipulative Therapy. Basically, short-term effects of thoracic manipulation on lower trap. So all you loading therapists, here's a reason why you get to add a little bit of manual therapy in what you do. Manipulate the T-spine, and you'll get an increased activation of the lower trap muscle. Uh, so now 
that impingement that we are always saying, or at least taught in school, that there's poor motor control, or that scapula isn't gliding right, or that force coupling isn't quite there. Well, we know the lower trap helps assist and stabilize that uh, shoulder blade as it rotates up. So manipulate, get increased muscle activation from that, and now follow it with a, a loading exercise, whether that's a, a Y or maybe some type of overhead uh, mm-hmm. exercise. Now, this was only done on the lower traps. I'm sure, and this is just me talking here, I'm sure that there's probably positive effects to the mid trap or maybe serratus or some of the other uh, scapular muscles in there. So, you know, my approach is let's manipulate it. Let's teach you how to self-mobilize this so you're, you're becoming active in your approach and mm-hmm. independent and you can handle this without me. And then here's some exercises you can follow up with. Yeah. So, you know, this is all treating around the shoulder and not even necessarily having to touch the shoulder. Yep. I don't know. And, and does that make, in my head, it makes sense, but I don't, no. I don't know it always makes sense to, to other people because and I'll have interns or, or even residents and they're just like looking at me like I have six heads. Uh, you know, but then to begin to do it and see the results. You know, I, I think that's another part of it is, you know, clinicians, especially the younger ones, they're they're coming out and you're like, well, can I do that? Well, try it out. See, try an intervention. See if it works. If it works, great. If not, you you know, you only wasted a, a couple minutes. It's not even wasted. So, you know, don't spend, this is another thing, don't spend, you know, half an hour doing one intervention before you retest it. I mean, these retests are quick. You know, we're mm. talking, like you said, you did the whole body in like a minute or two. So spend a minute or two, even for you busy clinics where you only have, you get three or four patients an hour, you're able to, you know, utilizing the correct joint based manual therapy, utilize a quick test retest and find out where you're going and become efficient instead of just doing some soft tissue massage or cupping and a stim and voodoo flossing and then testing everybody out. That, I don't know, to me, that takes too much time. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for it, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm more, I agree with you. It's quicker. It was one minute. I expect I'll send you over that video and I, I'm going to expect that you probably get gonna... Probably get in forty-five seconds. So, uh, knowing knowing you and your your speed, um, but um, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, if we talked about it in the last episode where you know some of the research is applied to certain areas. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the lateral glides for the and the median nerve, and then like oh, we've been playing around with the lumbar um, mobilizations with like uh, sciatic nerve flossing. Uh, yeah, I've, I've played around with even like in my population, we have a young active population. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of them are lower extremity, um, and have poor glute meat engagement. So I've even played around with the idea of doing lumbar manipulations and then, you know, testing out, you know, are they able to engage that glute meat a little bit better? Uh, you know, sometimes it does actually surprisingly, I'm like, okay. Again, it may be a neurophysiological effect. It may be the fact that I'm testing it again and they know what I'm doing and those sort of things. But, you know, there are certain times where people can't engage those muscles and we're getting some activation afterwards. So, yeah, play around with things. It, again, it doesn't hurt to do something as long as the patient's appropriate. Uh, you've ruled all the red flags out and everything like that to do some of these techniques. And uh, it's kind of cool to see these sort of things. But if you stick to one thing or the very opposite you just do manual therapy and yeah sure they're gonna feel like a million bucks afterwards and you 
you know, finish you off with doing some exercises or retraining or mechanics or education, you're doing the service to the client, but also the opposite where you're not helping the system kind of, I always say like a reset button, mm-hmm. uh, but that's Agreed. kind of me. Yeah. I, 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 thanks for bringing up that lower extremity part because a lot of times clinicians when they're, let's say you have somebody with uh plantar fasciitis or posterior tib tendinopathy all that treatment becomes into the foot. Mm-hmm. Well, what about at the knee or the hip? What if they're lacking range of motion, the, the patient doesn't have enough internal rotation mm-hmm. uh, in their hip, or like you said, they don't have the strength. Like regional interdependence en- encompasses everything. So, you know, strengthening the hip musculature is going to help attenuate the forces that are placed upon their foot and hopefully maintain a more, you know, neutral or proper foot positioning during weight bearing. So, you know, you're not getting those, those excessive forces and creating a plantar fasciitis or a PTTD because, you know, you've strengthened proximally and now that hip can help stabilize a little bit better. And going even more regionally, like you said, performing that lumbopelvic manual therapy or lumbopelvic and even hip manual therapy whether it's a mobilization or a manipulation to see if that muscle can become better engaged is, is regional independence. And we've just jumped, you know, three, three joints up, four joints up from the foot, you know, to, and, and that can be justified. And I think sometimes that also gets lost because of insurances and maybe some clinics don't want you treating a different body part because the mm-hmm. script only says this or the script only says that and we're going to reimburse reimbursed for treating the foot but when we're treating the foot we have to take in consideration like we're treating the person like what other factors are are limiting this patient or causing foot pain it's probably the knee the hip lumbopelvic region as well so having that in your arsenal and being able to justify i'm treating the low back or i'm treating the hip because it's leading to xyz causing pp uh, pttd you know is justifiable Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should be able to do it. And we should probably have a podcast on that. Yeah, uh, Just the ability to treat regionally and still being able to justify it for a different body part. I, I think that lacks as well, that documentation or when you have to do a peer-to-peer review and you're talking to some jackass on the other line who doesn't know what the hell you do. Um, you know, being able to stand toe-to-toe and have that conversation and explain what you're doing because that other person doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that I don't know. I just kind of went off there, but anyway, that's all right. If you are one of those jackasses of those medical reviewers, and you're one of our viewers, I hope you listen to this and uh, you know, you know, come into the clinic or the office the next day and maybe be a little bit more lenient on some of our uh, <laughs> our notes and uh, uh, well, that's going to be reviews. After calling them jackasses. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I think they know. I think they know. I think I've told them at least once or twice, but anywho, um, yeah, I guess we'll talk about a little bit more kind of a progression over our times here. Um, I guess we kind of hit most of the points there, but I can definitely view myself the more and more experience I get. And I believe I'm always trying to get better. I hope I'm not regressing clinically, um, but the more and more, just just from purely experience alone for those people who want to do residencies or anything like that as long at least you're trying to improve your craft and get people better and better 
you know, each year that's going on, you know, my experience just from like playing around with things, the more and more experience I get, the more almost further away I get, I, I treat from the problem source. I'll typically for the most part, like treat from a top to down approach. Yes, it could be an ankle issue or things like that. But again, as Brandon was talking about is, yeah, maybe we're trying to deload the forces through the ankle or the posterior tip or the Achilles or the, you know, the plantar fascia, you know, you're, you're encompassing everything. You could be doing everything right, desensitizing that area with whatever techniques you want to use. But if you're not, you know, addressing the mechanics of, you know, poor, you know, hip control, which is leading to more of that internal rotation adduction, and it's causing the foot to collapse and piss them off, you know, first modify it, see if it does. Okay, well, yeah, modify it, made it better. All right, well, what are the muscles that help keep that there instead of me telling the client to do it all the time? So, you know, hopefully this kind of gives some insight to people to kind of not get outside of just the problem area and uh, look, you know, a little bit elsewhere. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead, yeah, I was going to, yeah, I was just going to jump right in and add, uh, you know, I had a case that was, she came in, Jesus. older lady, uh, in her 60s, great shape though, was very active. Came in with, you know, quote unquote, plantar fasciitis slash like Achilles, insertional tendonitis type of deal. Uh, and their symptoms didn't, didn't really quite match up. So, you know, we we're treating the, the foot and I was also treating more regionally. And it really became, you know, it took a, a few sessions to really tease out just because of the spottiness of, um, I guess, symptom reproduction slash patient's ability to accurately I guess, give feedback for those first couple sessions. Uh, and, you know, that that's normal. I think sometimes it takes a patient or two to understand what their body's going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, always, you know, I'm sure some of it was maybe my questioning. I probably could have done a, a better job in just trying to streamline some of, some of the things. But it took a couple sessions, and we found out it was really her back. So this plantar fasciitis symptoms and, and pain and, and diagnosis really became into me doing back treatment where I mobilized her back and, and did uh, some tibial uh, nerve glides and flossing. So, you know, is that me not treating the right area? You know, how do you, how do you justify that one, you know, with insurance where most of your treatments to the back, but they're coming in with a, a script from a physician who knows more quote unquote, uh, you know, of foot, ankle plantar fasciitis pain and i'm really treating the back so that's just a you know a story where you know we need to this goes to my my rant always of we need to become primary providers for musculoskeletal injuries we need to do our own work and not follow the script which is why i hate Mm -hmm. these companies that make you follow what the script says because half the time the script's fucking wrong anyway yep so yeah, absolutely. I tell all my students, I'm like, don't base off a script. I mean, I'm glad that we have a primarily, mostly direct access, a direct access clinic, um, which makes it a lot easier and those sort of things. But even that, I'm like, treat the person, treat the impairments. Even if it's a post-op ACL, yes, there's guidelines, there's similar impairments, but everyone's unique and those sort of things. So treat the person, you know, you know, and stop like, you know, just getting absorbed by things or a script or someone else who looked at them for a grand total of three minutes um, to telling you essentially what to do. 
So, yeah, it's a shame that insurances or companies or things like that can get between you and the client. Um, we can talk, that would be a good podcast of kind of working around those sort of things. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, I'll talk about, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of good research with lateral epicondylidra and tennis elbow and those sort of things of, you know, your best, some of your best interventions is actually treating the cervical thoracic spine. I know that in my yeah. case, um, you know, I kept hammering away for so long of, cross friction massage or instrument assistive stuff to there the eccentric loading of there and god it's so even just... dry needling there yeah you know, i'll be you know not to cut you off i'll let you go back but oh, like god. i i was big into dry needling trigger trigger point oh my god the the amount of people i probably uh was too aggressive with initially when i first was dry needling um for that tennis elbow when it you know it goes back to uh what you were just saying, I'll let you continue treating that, treating it remotely. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was pretty much what it is. I think, uh, um, again, there, I don't have it in front of me cause I'm doing it on my phone, but you know, there's good research to support that. And I think, uh, maybe Bill or Scott or somebody kind of references, like if it doesn't hurt, if it's just hurting all the time, you know, you probably need to look at it from yeah. above. And then yeah, if I it's think one thing, Scott, cause Scott, Scott, right. Scott did the, um, Scott did the the wrist and elbow or the, the shoulder, shoulder yep. elbow wrist lab mm-hmm. uh, with the breaking bread technique. Mm-hmm. So that stands out to me uh, that it was Scott. Yeah, Scott Scottisms. Scott Scottisms. Scottisms. Uh, I hope he's listening one of these days. <laughs> we should just send it to him and make him make him listen to it. Yeah, there we go. This, this is uh, probably like shrieking noise to his ears, though. Probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, it's kind of my opinion on things. Um, and then again, you know, if you don't believe us or anything like that, or if you're having someone that you're kind of treating at the source or specifically, uh, you know, it doesn't take too long, You especially if you had them for a little bit. All right, I'm just looking at different areas and then start playing around with things and see if it makes that impact. You know, do a quick reevaluation on the person it takes only like 10, 15 minutes. And you could make that next step of, I always say that, you know, just by time alone or, you know, caring for a client, most people can get people to 75, 80% better. It'll be just there. Taking that next step from 80 to 100, that's going to take that next level detective work for some clients. So, you know, take a couple minutes to play around. Yep. I'm trying to find that article for you that you were talking about treating, uh, Treating things remotely for a uh, carpal tunnel. I mean, there's definitely a lot. There's definitely a lot of it out there. I just wanted for the um, for the audience. Yeah, at least one article here. I have way too many. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess uh, well, uh, while you're looking for that, um, I guess uh, how's how's your drink doing? Uh. I finished it. Uh, same, same here, same here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing here. Uh, let's see. Well, increase. This is a uh, article from who, Cleveland and De La Penas. Uh, increased forward head posture, restricted cervical range of motion in patients with carpal tunnel. I'm trying to think if they used actual manipulations or manual therapy in this one. I'll have to find per- the. Uh... 
tennis yeah, elbow for, one. For, oh, the tennis elbow one I have. That one. Oh, that's um, who wrote that? Give me a second. Coop, Coopers, I think. Uh, where's my elbow? Where's my elbow folder? Bear with me, guys. If you ever want to, one day we should put up a, a picture of uh, all Brandon's research. Uh, see him scrolling through, and then you'll get a real appreciation of uh, what, why we're so you know invested and why we wanted this podcast and stuff. We'll have him scroll through it one day. And, uh, Here we but go. Yeah, all right. He's, he's actually doing his work. Here we go. Oh, Coombs. That's what it is. Coombs. Coombs, yeah. Here we go. Mad- uh, management. This is a great one, actually. I, I know you, you were touching on uh, Carpet Tunnel. That's why I was looking for that. I got hung up on that. But yeah, management. What year is this? 2015. Coombs 2015. Management of lateral elbow tendinopathy. One size does not fit all. And uh, I think I sent this one to you, too. But it goes over not only the pathophysiology and examination that you should probably consider in differential diagnosis. Uh, and just just for for you guys, difference diagnosis. I mean, it could be arthritis, an interarticular lesion, something at the radio uh, capitular uh, pathology, radial tunnel, posterior interosseous, cervical referred pain, lateral instability, non-specific arm pain. I mean, you have so many different diagnoses there that you need to be able to go through. But when it talks about treatment, it talks about treating treatment of the neck or shoulder or shoulder girdle, what if weakness at the shoulder girdle is causing increased stress at the elbow, kind of like we were talking about the foot. Um, we're talking about, talking about diamond taping, um, psychosocial factors, mobiles, mobilizing the lateral elbow, mobilizing the wrist, uh, nerve glides, treatment of the T-spine. I mean, this article really goes over uh, a nice breadth and depth of what you should probably consider doing depending on your impairments of the patient of course just to go in with a shotgun approach and do all of these things but yeah yeah so yeah, it was, yeah was this, this was the article uh i'm assuming that you wanted yeah i, I think that's the one and uh yeah shed some light on those sort of things and how in depth it goes into so many conditions and those sort of things and you know you can look at you know also like baseball pitchers and these sort of things who develop you know ulnar collateral ligament injuries and these sort of things. A lot of their issues isn't obviously at the elbow. Obviously, the elbow gets the most sheer force and strain, but it's their poor scapular muscles and those sort of things. So, again, just no, kind of how about How about these thoracic outlet ones in, uh, in baseball players slash basketball players? I know your, your team over there, the Sixers oh. and Pro Faults, and tr- you're, you're trusting the process <laughs> that you uh, – you always put on um yeah. <laughs> personally i think this r- first rib resection doesn't mean need to be the, the the first go-to and probably some more treatment to um the cervical spine the t-spine especially with manual therapy even mobilizing that first and second rib uh will probably do some of these players better than going in there jumping mm-hmm. in hot for the first rib resection but I agree. That's, the, that's just an that's outsider's a... viewpoint. I don't know what they're really going through. We just hear what the news reports, and we all know that's mm. not always the most accurate. We should probably do a post on – we should do a blog on that, on the good old Fultz there. But, uh, um, yeah, I've, I've had, the, I guess, two, maybe three uh, thoracic outlet syndromes over the over the years, and I didn't think – you know, thank God I haven't had a referent any of them there to a uh, surgery or anything like that. So 
Um, it then it gets into the bay of was it really thoracic outlet syndrome? Is it neurogenic or um, yeah, not or so spine? Yeah, yeah. So again, I, I I take any TOS script I have with a with a big grain of salt. But again, that's something we can probably have another you know show about. But uh, anything else, uh, Brandon? You want to talk about in regards to regional interdependence? No, I think uh, I think we touched it all. Just kind of wrap up, you know. Just you know, think outside the box. Think definitely. Think of what other factors can be causing this, or you know, a patient's symptoms, and don't be afraid to, to test it uh, or, or try something out. Um, you don't have to go try out everything that we just talked about. Try one thing at a time and see see where you land with it. And it's a slow integration process, uh, you know, to change your habits. But, you know, just do one extra thing uh, uh, as um, one extra thing section and over time you'll start to blend it together. Yeah, I can agree more as say, you know, it doesn't take too long, even in a busy clinic to test out one thing. If you need to write it like the day before, I, I want to test at least one thing on everyone I'm in. It takes me five minutes to do a, like a test on area. You may you may come away with some real, you know, I say home run hits, but, you know, more maybe more like a double or triple that's going to lead to bringing that player on home. So, yeah, definitely test things out. Um, if you have any questions or you have a tricky client or you want to potentially implement some regional interdependence, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Again, we're real open on you know mentorship. We all have mentees under us. Um, Brandon's at Think Like a Fellow um, and at Pursue PT now for his Instagram and social media accounts. We're obviously at Manips and Sips. I'm personally at The Decent Doctor and uh, at Trifecta Therapeutics. So feel free to reach out to us. Uh, also give us some some more uh, Sips recommendations. Uh, strawberry lemonade beer combo is probably as low as I want to go on the uh, on the uh, Sips. Uh, Sips category here, but uh, yeah, I think uh, you need to redeem yourself with the yeah. uh, more manly beer than the your strawberry lemonade natty uh, yeah. thing. Let's go. Yeah, well, I'll have to bring you up one. You'll, you'll have to try it before you knock it. But yeah, I think I might move to a uh, might join you in the the whiskey uh whiskey uh it's, tasting. It's, it's better over here, man. I'm telling. You. I know, I know. I have a couple couple twelve year blends that I need to start tapping into. So. But anyways, um, hope everyone had a good show. Thank you for listening, and uh, cheers, everyone. Until next time.